We are continuing, and this is actually going to be the first, um, the first mark in the series that we're going to do on apostolic marks. And last week we did an introduction to that, and I gave you the seven marks that we are going to walk through over the next number of weeks. And today we're going to look at mark number one, the Word. And so what I hope that happens and what I've prayed for through this series is that as we look at the apostolic church and as we look at what they realized they were called to do and, and, what they, and the message that they realized that they were called to proclaim, I hope that we will see that by looking at the marks of this apostolic church we will see why we do some of the things that we do. My hope and prayer is also that, that we will see some things that maybe we are not doing so well and that we would be led by the Spirit to be more in line with the one true church. And so we're going to look at John chapter 5 today. If you would turn with me to John chapter 5, and I'm going to look at uh, reading verses 31 through 47 as we look at the apostolic mark of the Word. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, this form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who, who, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Here's where I believe uh, this scripture is taking us. And what we will see from a few points is that we must have, as an apostolic mark, we must have God's voice leading Grace Fellowship, our church, or we will be left with our own voice that will lead us. So we must have God's voice leading us. And we're going to look at a commitment to the authority of the Word, and we're going to look at a commitment to the theme of the Word and a commitment to the expression of the Word. In dealing with authority, my daughter Ellie has said to me on a number of occasions at night, she will say, Daddy, do you want to come and watch a show with me? And then, and then she'll say, you can pick out whatever show you want to watch as long as it's a kid's show. 
And so she is keeping me within, within her bounds of the things that she wants. So she is, she, is, um, she is wanting to look at me as somebody that she wants to be with or even wants to get direction from, but she wants, to re- wants me and my guidelines to remain within um, her bounds. And this is often how we deal with authority, maybe most of the time how we deal with authority. We can deal with it as long as it remains within the boundaries that we have set for ourselves already. But as it begins to get outside of those boundaries, then we begin to have a problem with it. For instance, there have been times when I've responded to my daughter and I've said something like this, Well, Ellie, that is so sweet of you, but we are not going to watch a show now because it's time to clean up or it's time to go to bed. Then all of a sudden, that sweet little submissive spirit just disappears and it goes away. How many times have you asked someone for advice and then they didn't direct you in the way that you wanted to go? Um, we can tend to neglect that advice. Or how many times have you been asked for advice and you told someone what, how you felt and then they then rejected that advice? So the question would be, as we think about that topic, does the Word have authority over you or do you have authority over the Word? Is God's voice your judge or do you cast judgment over the Word deciding which parts are worth following or which parts are really meant to apply or which parts are meaningful or which parts are true? Do you stand above the Word or does our church stand above the Word or do we stand under the Word? allowing the Word to govern us, claim authority over us. And this is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees in John chapter 5. He is telling them, He is saying, You say that you believe Moses who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. On his writings you say that you have set your hope, but you don't really believe in them. He's face to face with them while they're claiming that they put their hope and their decisions, and their life own the Word of God. And he says, but you don't really believe them. You say that the Scriptures are your authority, that you think in them you have eternal life, but when they tell you to follow a suffering servant, you refuse. So in other words, he's telling them, he's telling the Pharisees, your voice has authority over the Word, that you have set yourself up as judge over God's Word. So there's not a true commitment to the authority of God's voice. So I ask us, in your church, here at Grace Fellowship, is God's voice leading our church? Or is God's voice leading the church that you are a part of? And we have to face that and understand what this means. And here, here's how we should be looking for these things. Here, here are just a few, few things to run through. First, We have to ask the question, is the Word central to our church? And so we have to ask, are teachings and sermons and ministries, are they subservient to the Word of God, or is the Word of God subservient to sermons or teachings or ministries? Does God's Word speak to us and tell us when to speak? Or do we speak to God's Word and tell God's Word when to speak? Now here's an example of what I'm talking about. Recently a well-known pastor said that God was waiting to give you all that you dared to ask of Him. And then he told God's Word when to speak when he turned to Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, and he said, Ask of me, 
And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And so this minister told God's word when to speak. He made God's word subservient to his idea, to his theology, to his understanding of the Bible and his message that he wanted to communicate. He took Psalm 2 and made it submissive to his message. When Psalm Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm, when it's speaking about Christ and it's speaking about a conversation in eternity past between the Father and the Son, when the Father tells the Son, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Is our church under the Word of God? Does it look to the Word to give us direction and authority? Secondly, do you get a good, good and serious diet of the whole counsel of God's Word here? Is there expository preaching? Are you getting a good diet of the Old and the New Testaments? This should be the primary form of preaching as you look for the leaders of the church to lead your family and your church. This, is, this type of teaching through the Bible is where we receive the words of Christ from the prophets and the apostles. Thirdly, is it being used by and with the Holy Spirit? And so a way to ask this is to ask ourselves a question. Are we a mean church that upholds the Word of God? Are we a bunch of jerks about Scripture? Do we look for the Bible to be primarily a hammer? Because if we are truly marked by the Word, then we will be loving, generous, sacrificial. We'll be accepting and forgiving. We'll be peaceful. We'll be patient. And if it's truly an apostolic mark, if the Word is truly an apostolic mark, then it will produce love within this church. And it will produce a church that wants to love its community and love its neighbors. And we'll see love throughout the families of the church. We'll see the fruit of the Spirit exercised here and amongst us. But if those things are not happening when we uphold the Word, then what we have done is we've taken it from an apostolic mark to some kind of legalistic mark where it turns us into a bunch of jerks. They long to hammer the world with the Word of God instead of of using it to love the world, to reach the world. Also, we want to look at a commitment to the theme of the Word. So the first thing, a commitment to the authority of the Word. And as we look for this to be an apostolic mark, we must have a commitment to the theme of the Word. Now, the true apostolic mark of the Word makes Jesus the theme, the center, the primary figure that the Bible points to. And listen, when we don't do that, what happens is is that that the Bible... We become the theme of the Bible. You become the theme. You either become the theme of the Bible or you use the Bible to let other people that you're looking to condemn or correct be the theme of the Bible. And if Jesus is not the theme of the Word, if He's not the theme of the sacred writings that we read, then you will make the Bible primarily something that is written to show you what to do, to show you what not to do, and to show you how other people are doing things wrong. 
But what we must do is we must let the Bible do what it's already doing in our church. We must let it make Christ the central theme throughout. I'm turning to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you would turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the Apostle Peter speaking of the salvation that is contained, that is presented from the Word of God. And in verse 10, 1 Peter 1.10, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels longed to look. And so the Apostle Peter is saying that the prophets of old were speaking about the sufferings and the glories of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. He is the theme from Genesis all the way to Malachi on through the New Testament unto Revelation. In verse back in John 5 in verse 36 and 37 Jesus says this but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me and so Jesus is saying God has borne witness about me through his word through his Scripture, and the apostles began to grasp this, and they embraced it, and then they wrote about it, and they wanted the church to see that the Bible's central theme is the person of Jesus Christ. And if we miss this point, we will be lost. We'll be lost as we read Scripture. We'll be lost as we hear. Mess- we'll be lost as we hear what the Bible tells us to do and what not to do. We'll be lost as we try to give people counsel from the Word of God, as we try to stand on it. If Jesus is not the central theme, we've lost the message. We've lost the message of Scripture. So what does a bad king in the Old Testament have to do with Jesus? It's telling us that a good king is coming. What does a good king in the Old Testament have to do with Jesus? It's, telling, it's giving us a glimpse into an eternal kingdom with a good and perfect king that's even better than the king that we are seeing in the Old Testament. What about the law that we see in the Old Testament? What about the do's and the don'ts? Surely that is about you and me. And it is. But first, and necessarily, as we look at the law, What's being portrayed is this, this central theme is running throughout telling us about the perfect character of God that will come in Christ and His name will be Jesus. It's telling us about the heart of Christ who keeps and fulfills every commandment and then suffers to the point of death and then will be raised again to eternal life. So do you see that even as we read the law in Exodus and Deuteronomy, what we are seeing is the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ. So why should we obey? Why should we be obedient to God's Word? 
And the reason is, is because Jesus was obedient to death. And if we get beyond that central understanding, or if we don't begin at that central understanding, our obedience will lead us to pride or it will lead us to burnout. So we're supposed to see that we're called to be obedient because Christ was obedient to death. Why should we be generous? Because Jesus was generous with his life. Why should we forgive? Because Jesus forgave those that hung him on a cross. And as we look at this central theme, please understand that this is, you must have Jesus. In order to read through the Bible and see Christ on every page of Scripture, you must have Him. He must be yours and you must be His. You have to long for the exaltation of Christ. You have to long and want to die for His name in order to see Him as the central theme throughout all of Scripture. If we read the Bible and we primarily think that the Bible is about our country, and if we primarily think that the Bible is what we must do, then we're going to be lost as we read it. It's going to lead us into being more and more confused and frustrated. But if we see this central theme throughout, we will see the exalted Lord and Savior and we'll be thrilled by it. And know this is a spiritual work. This is something that has to come from the power of the Holy Spirit who Christ Himself said He was going to come to teach us and remind us about the teachings of Jesus and about the person of Jesus. And finally, I want to look at a commitment to the expression of the Word as we close here. So as we look at the Word to have authority over us and as we look for the theme of Christ throughout the whole of Scripture, we must also look to a commitment to the expression of the Word. And we have talked a little bit about preaching. We have seen the sacrament and the ordinance of baptism Today, last week, we, um, we had the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together. And these are three things, preaching, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. These are three expressions of the Word that must be at the center, uh, the center, this must be a center function of the local church. These have been ordained by Christ. These are a means of His grace. And a church stops being a church when these things cease to exist and when these things cease to have meaning. But the truth is is that we shouldn't stop there. Because as we look to make an as we look to having a commitment to the expression of the word, the preaching and baptism and communion should also lead us to things like evangelism. It should lead us to long for the Word to go outside of these walls and the things that take place in here. And so we have to ask the question, and we have to ask this question over and over again. Who are the people that God has put in my life? Where has God placed me? And then who are those people that are in that place? Who are the, who are the unbelievers that are not following Jesus that God has put in my life? Because, we, because this is a call for us to express this word to the world 
around us. This is also a calling for us to discipleship, for us to see that each one of us are called to make disciples, to be disciples and then also to make disciples. And so what people are around you, maybe in this room, in your working environment, what neighbors of yours that are believers need to be discipled? Or who can you be discipled by? It's another question of what people has God placed in your life to bring about discipleship. The Word also leads us to discipline. When we call one another to repentance, when we long for people to respond to the gospel by confessing sin and turning from it, these are things that are necessary for us as a church to follow the apostolic mark, to long for the Word to go forth, for long, to long for the gospel to be demonstrated and visibly, for us to be visibly aware of it as we see something like baptism or as we feast upon Christ in the Lord's Supper. And we also must have this mark as we look to reach the world around us with this great truth, with the sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glories that followed His death as He rose from the grave and as he was exalted in heaven through his ascension. And as his exaltation will continue throughout history at his return and then his forever reign over the new heavens and the new earth. With our baptism today and our adoption party that we're having in just a moment, this of course needs to be more time spent on the apostolic mark of the word. But let us start there. Understanding the authority of God's Word. Our longing as a church to be placed under that authority. And maybe that means there are some things that we are not willing to submit to. And that we need to see and that our leadership needs to face and be called to repentance. To understand that we need Christ at the center of all that we're doing. That if we get outside of the bounds and we forget the theme of Christ, we've all of a sudden made the theme of the Bible ourselves. And that is a call for repentance from that. And then may we be committed to expressing the word through our lives and through our words to others. Let us, be, let's, let us give ourselves to loving our neighbors, to being hospitable to those that need us, and to giving them the message of the cross. This is an apostolic mark. This is where it must begin. For us to move along these marks and look at things like fellowship and generosity, we must see that that fellowship and that generosity must come from God's voice. It mu- we must be led by His Spirit through His Word as we approach trying to look like the apostolic church, trying to function like them, trying to give ourselves away like them. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have chosen to tell us the story about your redemption, about your longing to make all things new. And then thank you for revealing and manifesting yourself through God the Son, Jesus Christ, for giving us your name, which is to say we're allowed to talk to you, communicate with you, 
call you out by name, know you. Father, I pray that that would grip our hearts, that we would long to see you more clearly, more, that we would long to see you more than ever before through the Scriptures. So, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, we ask for your Spirit in a very humble way, that you would grant us a greater knowledge of you, a relationship with you, clarity of who you are and who you are calling us to be through your authoritative word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.